If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to ask you to turn with us to two passages of Scripture. In, <clears throat> in the first is in Ezekiel chapter 28, and the next that we'll read to you is in Isaiah chapter 14. So I'd like to ask you, if you would, to um, turn with us there, and we'll um, try to explain what we're what the Lord's put on our heart. You know, I have to have to kind of adjust my clothing once in a while. And someone asked me, he said, "Well." Have you lost a lot of weight? And I said, no, sir, I've dropped some weight, but I haven't lost it. So, so you, you have to kind of adjust. Now. If you will look with me at these two passages of Scripture, uh, it may seem as though it's unrelated, but I hope that you'll get the, uh, the gist. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 28, we'll begin in verse 11. And in verse 11, the Scriptures tell us that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets or tambourines, as some say, and of your pipes was prepared in the in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so, and thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, and thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. And by the multitude of thy merchandise they fill the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore I'll cast thee out as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities and by the iniquity of your going back and forth and trafficking. Therefore, 
I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And all people that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, and thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. If you just hold your hand here for a moment and look back to uh, Isaiah chapter 14, you'll see as we begin to read in verse 12 what the prophet says. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, and they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? That's all we'll read here. <clears throat> and I'd like to, uh, I'd like to mention uh, what's happening here. <clears throat> what's happening here is that God is speaking through the prophet uh, in a very special way. In Ezekiel, uh, it seems as that he's addressing the king of Tyrus. In Isaiah, it's as he is addressing the king of Babylon. Keep in mind this principle, and you, you will understand this passage a little bit better. Sometimes, in fact many times, the Lord uses a visible object to speak to an invisible object. And that's what he's doing here. One is to the king of Tyrus, the other to the king of Babylon. And let me let me repeat this again. The Lord uses a visible object or person and speaks to that to an invisible. No one can see the character that's addressed in Ezekiel 28, but you can see, or they could see, the king of Tyrus. And the Lord willing, uh, this morning and then tonight, I want to use these two passages of Scripture uh, for several reasons. 
And if you will think about this, in both these instances, in my opinion, the Lord is addressing Lucifer. In Ezekiel 28, it's when he was created. In Isaiah 14, it's when he sinned and fell and why. And the gist of my lesson this morning is this. Why did Satan fall? And what significance would this have for us? What led him to do this? And let me tell you that it scares me to speak to you about a powerful personality who can listen to what I'm saying. And we need to uh, really be mindful of the fact that <clears throat> Satan and his angels do hear what we say and what we're teaching. And in, in regards to this, you will see that in both instances, in Ezekiel 28 and in Isaiah chapter 14, there is a large background of commercialism and prosperity. Don't think that Satan wants to obliterate and shatter everyone and make them homeless and drunks. It's Satan's desire. It is his desire to make you think that he can do something better for you than God can. This is how sin began. In the Garden of Eden, Satan said two things to Eve. You surely won't die. He promised life. And then he says, God knows that you'll be his gods. He's saying you can rule and govern on your own. And Satan, and by the way, I know that uh, I use the King James Bible and uh, uh, I know some of you probably use different translations and that's okay, uh, maybe. Uh, but uh, just remember this, Satan, the old serpent, was the first translator of God's Word. So when you go out Think about that, just a minute. Anyway, that's a little off the subject, but uh, I want you to see in Ezekiel 28 some of the things that are that are mentioned here. The king of Tyrus was not created; he was born. It is Satan that was created. 
Um, <clears throat> and if you, um, the king of Tyrus was not a, an anointed cherub and so forth, but this, this is a picture of what Satan was when the Lord Jesus, God the Son, created him. Keep in mind that it was God the Son who created this creature. Can you imagine how our Lord Jesus felt when He became man and one of the first things that happened to Him, He faced this creature that He had created. And it was a confrontation between the two. And with that in mind, I want you to go back with me for a minute. Before there was an earth, or just soon after this, there were a lot of things that occurred in the mind of God in eternity past. And in order for us to see why such a beautiful, wise personality failed, you have to go back there. If you will, and because, you know, it's, I won't be able to talk all that long about this. I'm not going to turn to the passages of Scripture that, um, that I'm going to refer to. But if you look back in eternity past, when the Lord laid the foundation of the earth, the angels were already in existence. The Scriptures tell us in Job 38, that God said the sons of God and the morning stars sang together when God laid the foundation of the earth. It was an extraordinarily beautiful piece of work. And then there were some other things that happened back in this place. God promised that He would give life, a life as Jerry spoke of a minute ago in the age to come. He promised uh, before the earth in the book of Titus that He would do that. God also promised in 2 Timothy that it would be by grace that it would not uh, have anything to do with the, the merit of a man or a woman in order to obtain this life. But there was also something else. In 1 Peter, the Bible says that it was foreordained that the Lord 
would die on the cross, that he would redeem us. This was already uh, in God's mind. And that God had promised them. Then God did something else as well. And I'm not uh, capable of explaining this uh, in, a, in a definitive way. But the Bible says that God had a book and he wrote names in this book of men before the foundation of the earth. It's not strange to me to be able to say that God foreknew everything. I can't explain that. But he did. And then the scriptures tell us that eventually the Lord created man. Now I want you to see something here and I want you to get this. If you read carefully Psalms 8, you'll see that when God created man, He created man a little lower than the angels. But He created man in this same psalm to have dominion and to rule over the earth. This upset the angels. It upsets, it upset Satan. When, when God created the angels, if you look in Hebrews 1, verse 14, you will see that the angels were created, all of the angels were created to minister to the heirs of salvation that God had promised to them. All of this is occurring, and I know that there are some, there are many who say, well, Satan wasn't an angel. Well, that's wrong. Because he was. He was of a higher order, but he was still a spirit being. And he translates himself into an angel of light often. So I want you to see this. If the Lord created the angels to be servers of the heirs of salvation, this means that as the Lord created man lower than the angels, the angels, Lucifer, didn't like that. What this means is they did not want to be servants. Before the earth was founded, 
it was determined that our Lord Jesus Christ would be a servant. And as a consequence, there was envy which between Satan and the Lord Jesus, God the Son. Of course, it wasn't Jesus till he was born, but he's God the Son. Now, keep this in mind. The battle that we face today is not between us. The battle is between God the Son and Satan. That's why God gave us the book of Job. Job didn't understand what was going on. It was a struggle between Satan and God. This is why Paul mentions in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle. And if you have your hand still in, uh, in uh, the book of Isaiah and you'll read there in the book of Isaiah, Lucifer sinned in that he failed to do the will of God. There are five instances here in Isaiah 14 where it says, I will, I will. He refused to obey God's will. Contrast that with God the Son's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where God the Son said, Not my will, but thy will be done. How important is that? It's not the feats that you accomplish, not the great things that you do that will give you an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It is he that doeth the will of God. Satan refused to be a servant. Before the earth was created, the heavens were there, and the angels ruled over many aspects of the universe. And Satan convinced many of them to follow him and to do what he desired. And he refused to be a servant. And what I want, what I want to emphasize to you this morning in regards to this, and maybe elaborate a little bit more on it this evening. Well, I will, but 
I want you to see how important this is and what the lesson is for us. Do you, do we consider ourselves servants? What is a servant? And what great lesson do we have in regards to this? I mentioned to you the book of Job. Why did God, why would God, who is merciful and loving and wonderful, allow Satan to have his way with Job? It was to prove that a true servant is something Satan cannot destroy. Because God said, you see, as Satan and the sons of God came before the Lord, God said, hast thou considered my servant, Job. But what it means to be a servant is this. What happens if you lose your possessions? What happens if you lose your loved ones? What happens if your, if your health fails? What the Lord's trying to show us, not only with Israel, but with us as individuals, is to show us a true servant will not allow any of these features to keep us from being a servant. In Exodus 21, the Lord tells us of a Hebrew who was sold into servitude and he could only serve six years or he only had to serve six years. And then he was free to go. But if he loved his master, at the end of the six years, he could say, I love you, master, and I don't want to be free. And the master would take him to the door and drive an awl through his ear. And he would serve him forever. Being the Lord's servant is better than being free from the law. And this man would have, a, have an awe in his ear. You know, in today's world, do you think God Almighty is not trying to tell us something? 
you know, you go into any place and they've got earrings, and if you have one, I ain't sorry for saying this. <laughs> Even in here, do you think God's not trying to tell us something through other folks? I've often said that if the Lord Jesus don't return soon, as far as the mark of the beast is concerned, the way things are going with the tattoos, there ain't going to be room for a mark on it. <clears throat> Just a thought. Have you noticed in Second Peter chapter 1 when Peter addresses his congregation he says Peter a servant and an apostle he mentions servant first being a servant is superior to be in a position. Do you know the Lord's half-brother in the book of Jude does the same thing? He says, a servant. Did you know that a servant is superior to any, any family relationship that you may have? Being a servant is the most important thing in regards to a believer entering into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. It's not your knowledge. It's not your wisdom. It's not your feats. It's not your deeds. It's being a true servant. Doing the will of God. And you'll remember that in the final time, at the end of the day, in Luke 19, Matthew 25, it is the servants who are tested. Will we pass? Will we have accomplished what the Lord would have us to accomplish? as his servants in accordance to his will. I wanna I wanna mention a few things to you. You know <clears throat> do you think <clears throat> when the children of Israel wanted so badly to have a king that God allowed it. And this king was Saul. And this king was from the tribe of Benjamin. And this nobody that was exalted as king failed. 
And if you read 1 Samuel 15, you'll see that he did a couple of things that were wrong. One was that he made a sacrifice and that was the priest's job. And another thing, he didn't obey what the Lord had told him through Samuel. And if you look in 1 Samuel 15, you will see that Samuel says to Saul, Saul, when you were little in the Lord's, in your sight, in the Lord's work, you were blessed of the Lord, but you exalted yourself. And as a consequence, you're going to fail. Saul had said, why would you choose me from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe? And then he says, of the least family in the smallest tribe. Why would the Lord allow that? Did you know that the New Testament teaches us the great truth in regards to that? Did you know that there was an apostle who said, I am the least of the apostles? Do you know what his name was? Saul. Do you know what tribe he came from? Benjamin. Is this not a reminder that the Lord Jesus is trying to tell us don't strive to be a king. Strive to be a servant. Be the servant that God is pleased with. Over and over and over in the scriptures. Did you know? I wanted, I wanted to, to mention this that the Lord Jesus Himself keeps telling us, He that will be chief among you will be the servant. Will we qualify? The Lord says, He that is greatest in the kingdom is the servant. I can't preach like John the Baptist. I can't baptize like him. But did you know that the least is greater in the, in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist? It's the least. Think of this. Why was our Lord Jesus born in Bethlehem? Would it not have been <clears throat> would it not have been better if he would have been born in Jerusalem? That's where the wise men came. That was the logical thought. Why would he choose Bethlehem? 
and he made one of them an inventor of musical instruments. But remember this, in heaven, there are stringed instruments and there is music of a great magnitude there. What happened? Satan changed his musical ability from praising God to personal pleasure. The music's not our problem. It's the desire to be a servant of the Lord. This is one reason why when David played for Saul, the demonic spirit enjoyed the music and as a consequence left him. It is Satan's job to deceive you, to make you think that he can do something better for you than God can. Being a servant may cost you to lose all you have. But was that not what Jesus said? He that loses his life will find it. My friends, we have gone from the least to the abnormally high. Oh, but how so? The parable Jesus told the mustard seed is the least, and the emphasis is not particularly on mustard, but on least. And it's developed into a monstrosity filled with demonic powers. No servants. My thought as we leave this morning is to tell you, and I told a lady this past week, you made a fine, <clears throat> a fine worker for the Lord. Be a servant. It'll cost you. But at the end of the day, you'll get a great payday. That's all I have to say for right now. And if you want to come back for the rest of the story, I'll be here for that. Maybe. <laughs>